Open it up to the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2 now. A few weeks ago, if you're just joining us, we started uh, a series on Ephesians. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible, mostly because of the amazing truth that we just get over and over in the first half of Ephesians. It tells us what God has done for us in Christ, and then how that changes us, how we are to respond to it. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, the second half of that chapter right now, starting at verse 11. Let me read God's word for us now. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come from different places this morning. Some of us exhausted, burdened, feeling heavy. Some of us eager. Some of us not knowing what to expect. But we pray that you would open your word to us. That you might meet us where we are. That you might soften our hearts. That we might hear what you have to say to us. And that in doing so you might transform us by your word. You promised to do this. We ask you to do it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening to... Uh, um, uh, a radio show the other day, and of all things, it was about um, it was it was talking about children's clothing. Don't just don't ask me why I was listening to that. Uh, but they were talking about uh, the, the the time around the 18th to mid 18th century when children uh, were oftentimes dressed kind of like little adults. They were they were dressed in a way that really reflected the way that adults thought about children at the time. That the goal was actually to to shape them and form them at a very early age into adult the adults that they were going to become. But oftentimes at the expense of their childhood. In fact, the clothes that they would put on them were incredibly formal, at least if you had any money they were. Uh, the girls, the little girls and the little boys would wear corsets just to kind of keep them constrained. And the, the person, the commentator was talking about how uh, the French philosopher, 18th century French philosopher, and I know I just lost like half of you, okay, just stay with me here for a second. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, 
had made a huge impact actually on what it meant to even raise children and the place of children in society. Because he was really emphasizing the fact that children needed to be free to be children. To be creative, to explore, to have this childlike wonder that they could lean into the world with. And Rousseau is really credited in many ways with, with establishing the foundation about the way that our society even kind of understands children now. At the same time, however, the commentator said Rousseau himself, who had four children, abandoned them and left them all in an orphanage one day because he didn't feel like he had much time for them. What do we do with a person like that who has made enormous impact on society yet personally eh, not so great a father? What do we do with somebody like Bill Cosby who's been in the news lately? As I was listening again to the radio, there was uh, an interview going on between a person who is in the, um, in the, in the television industry and he was talking about, about Bill Cosby. Now, how, what are we supposed to think of Bill Cosby? Because he's just been convicted of some really terrible things. And at the end of this interview, it was interesting, they played a clip from Cosby's lawyer who said, Bill Cosby has done so much for the education of men and boys. Bill Cosby has done so much for civil rights. He's one of the leaders in education and in civil rights. And the interviewer then said, that's true, isn't it? To which the person she was interviewing said, yeah, it is true. He has done amazing things in civil rights and in education. And then, this was, this was really fascinating. It was with this kind of reluctance in his voice that he said, and now we have to hold these two things in our head. Bill Cosby, the incredibly popular entertainer and impactful man in education and civil rights, and Bill Cosby, the now convicted sex offender. What do we do with those two things? What do we do kind of with this, uh, this, these two different opposite, polar opposites that we have in front of us. Maybe you, like, uh, I think the study said, half of Americans tuned in to listen to the Brett Kavanaugh hearings this weekend. Maybe you have heard the same kinds of things in that situation, where you have one group of people who is saying, this is a man who's done some very despicable things, and another group of people who are saying, this is a man who's a really wonderful person. What do you do when you're presented with a person that, where there's that kind of conflict? And let's be really honest. We all look at ourselves and find the same conflict, don't we? Because when we look at our lives, we find that they oftentimes represent that same conflict where we see in ourselves some really despicable things, where we see in ourselves some really wonderful things, and we're not sure even how to handle those two things together sometimes. I have literally had to go do marriage counseling for another couple after having a fight with my wife. (laughs) How do you handle that? I have literally had to preach about parenting after losing my temper with my children. How do you handle that? Well, what the Apostle Paul says is that the way that we handle that both personally and publicly, the way that we actually can see the world correctly is that we remember our story. We remember who we are and we remember what God has done for us. And he's been laying out this story in chapter 2 so far. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about this amazing truth of being raised from death to life in Jesus. That we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and God raised us to new life. 
Today, he continues to lead us down that path of what this beautiful story is. And the first thing that he tells us in this story is that our story is one of a redeemed identity. A redeemed identity. I want you to look just at the way he begins this in verse 11 again. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, just a little bit of background. Paul is talking to this church in Ephesus, a young church, kind of like ours, made mostly of Gentile believers, Gentile converts. And when you open up the Bible and you see that word Gentile, what it means is that it's a person who wasn't born Jewish. It's a person who wasn't born with a Jewish heritage. Now, I'm going to give you some even bigger background here, so I want you to just rewind with me about 2,000 years from where Paul is talking, right? So this is about 4,000 years for us, back to Abraham. In Genesis 12, we open up and see God chooses this man, Abraham, and calls him to be his vehicle of blessing in the world. To say, the redemption that I'm going to work in the world, I'm going to actually do it through you and your family and the nation that's going to grow out of that family. And... Abraham and his family and his descendants are meant by God to be the ones whom God has chosen to work his salvation in the world. To reflect his glory most perfectly. To show the world the beauty and the glory and the salvation of who God is. And so they were meant to reflect that beauty and that glory. And those people that God had chosen were called Israel or Jews or God's chosen people. And those who were outside of that group had to be brought into that group in order to find salvation. This is actually one of the kind of major themes of the Bible that we kind of forget about because we are an individualistic society in the West. So we oftentimes think about spirituality in an individual way, right? It's just me and God. But the way that the Bible presents things is that salvation is actually found in the people of God. And it's being brought into that people that we find union with God as well. And so if you were a Gentile, then the truth about you was unless you came to be in God's people, you were, as Paul lays out here, listen to the things he says about them. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, separated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. That was where they were. And friends, by virtue of where we are standing now, because remember, uh, most of us are Gentiles by birth, and all of us live a lot further away from the place that Paul was talking about here. Okay, So God's word has reached even really weird people like folks in Texas in 2018. We are like the Gentiles of the Gentiles, okay? Like it's, it's, it's the furthest away you could ever dream about the gospel actually coming, and it's reached us. And so the truth is for us, just like these guys here, is that our identity is a redeemed identity. Our story is one of a redeemed identity. The story that Paul tells them to remind themselves of, the one he wants them to remember, is of a redeemed identity. Uh, Those who were outsiders, who have now become insiders. That's the first little piece of the story. 
Here's the second piece, because he goes on actually. He says it's also a story of redeemed, not just identity, but redeemed relationships. Keep reading with me in verse 14. He himself, meaning Jesus, is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Friends, the Bible says that there is no more us versus them because of what Jesus has done. There is no more kind of insider and outsider. There is no more division between what is racially divided here, but also what we oftentimes set up as dividers, be they theological, be they uh, cultural, whatever they are, there's no division in Christ. John Lennon saying these really famous words. He said, you know, imagine there are no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion to. Imagine all the people living in peace. You know the song. Imagine, right? What he wants us to imagine is a place where there is peace. Or a place where there is no enmity, enmity between people. But did you hear how he wants us to get there? See, the vision that John Lennon casts is that peace comes by removing faith, by removing religion. And when we can erase religion, then we can finally live in harmony together. Paul says just the opposite. He says it's actually Jesus who has brought us together. And if we are found in him, if we are found united to him, then we are also united to each other. We've used this language before, right? That what Jesus does for us is both horizontal, (laughs) vertical, and horizontal, right? That he makes us right with him, that he makes us right with each other. That it is holistic reconciliation that reconciles us to God and reconciles us to one another. That's the second part of the story that Paul wants us to remember. Is that our story is one of a redeemed relationship, not only to God, but to each other. Here's a third piece. He goes on and he says that our story is also one of redeemed value. Listen to verse 19 and following. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is how Eugene Peterson uh, summarizes those verses in, in the message. Listen to what he says. You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. We sung those things too, didn't we? All you refugees, those who were once wandering, sojourners, aliens, come in. Because you've been made citizens by the blood of Christ. You who once were outside of his people have been brought inside. You who once were enemies have been made friends. You who once were aliens have now been made citizens. There is value in the story of redemption. 
He's telling these Gentiles, people who had been told over and over that they were of lesser worth, he is telling them, you have as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. I read really a beautiful story the other day that I think illustrates this well. It was about a man named Francois Clemens. Anybody know who Francois Clemens is? Maybe you know who Officer Clemens was on uh, the Mr. Rogers show. Okay, So Officer Clemens was actually the friendly neighborhood police officer who would come by and visit the show from time to time. I think he was on the show for 16 years, something like that. Well, Officer Clemens was the first recurring African-American character on a children's television show. And Fred Rogers, who, by the way, was an ordained Presbyterian minister, chose specifically to have this man come and to play the part of the policeman. And this interview that I read, um, Francois says it, it was actually really hard to do this because he grew up in the ghetto. And his understanding of what a police officer was, was that that's the person that's going to sick the dogs on you. That that's the person who's really the instrument of white power who has come to oppress you. So his understanding of what a police officer was, was not a good one. And Fred Rogers called him in to come and to actually play this role as a police officer. And he did. He finally agreed to do so. And he explains this one time, this one really impactful moment, about ten years in. We're on the set. Uh, It's supposed to be a hot day. And so Fred Rogers comes in. He's got this like baby pool filled up with water. And he comes in. He takes off his shoes and his socks. And he sticks his feet in the water to cool himself. And he says, oh, this feels so good. And then he calls over Francois, Officer Clemens. He says, why don't you come over and stick your feet in the water with me? And he asked him to take off his shoes and his socks, and he puts his feet in. And and Francois Clemens recalls this. He says, you know, not only was he letting me show my brown skin on TV to the public, but to share it even with a pool in a pool with him. This is 1969, okay? 1969. And he's saying, so he was sharing the water with me, black and white. And then afterwards, very Jesus-like, Fred Rogers takes a towel and begins to dry his feet. And he talks about this one time, not too long after that, where at the end of the show, Mr. Rogers would always say something like, you know, um, uh, you are special because of who you are, and I like you just the way that you are. And he said at the end of the show, he looked straight at Francois, and he said those words, you are special because of who you are, and I like you just the way you are. And uh, after the show, after the filming, uh, he came up to him and he said, um, he said, were you talking to me with that? And... uh, Fred said, I've been talking to you for years. (laughs) It's just the first time you've heard it. See, what he heard was the beautiful message of the value that he has. Okay, The value that he has been given because he's a human being and because he is redeemed by Jesus. That's the message we get from Paul here in this passage as well. That the story that we're called to remember is a story of a redeemed value. Now there is um, there's a broader category that I want to introduce to us that I think this fits in. There's a, a theological kind of category that we get to talk about that I think Paul is really touching on here. And it's this paradigm, these three words that we oftentimes use, creation, fall, and redemption. It's a, it's a paradigm. By paradigm, I mean it's a way of looking at all things. So it's a construct that we can take into looking at all things in the world. Creation, fall, redemption. It's the story, actually, of the Bible. When you open up Genesis 1, you see God creates all things good. And then you see very quickly in Genesis 3 that it's broken by sin. 
But even in Genesis 3, you see these hints of God setting out on a mission of redemption, to, to, to redeem all things, to renew it. And so you have this, this story that's laid out for us, and the rest of the Bible is that plan, of, that plan and that mission of redemption. Created good in, in the Lord, created good, broken by sin, and being redeemed by Jesus. That's the story of the world, it's the story of the Bible. Maybe you notice it's the story as well of our worship service. We start by singing of God's goodness, really about creation, about who He is. We then turn to ourselves and say we're broken by sin. And then we get to celebrate the redemption that we have in Christ and be renewed in word and sacrament. It's the story as well of our worship service. And it's the way that we can actually make sense of the world. It's the way that we can look out into the world and understand it more clearly. For instance... Is business something that employs people and gives people value and worth because they get to go and do a job and engage in things that make, uh, that, that create culture? Good things like that. Is that what business is? Or is business the tool of a consumeristic society to destroy both our environment and our culture? Now, we could look at those things in that kind of binary way, right? It's either good or it's evil. But when we have this gospel understanding, creation, fall, redemption, we get to actually look at it differently. We get to say that work is created good by God. In the garden, God gives Adam a job to do. We then look and say, work is broken by sin. That's part of the curse, actually, that he even gives to Adam, is that his work particularly will be affected. But that it is also under the realm of redemption by Jesus. That he is making all things new. And so our work can be redeemed by Jesus. How about politics? Are politicians those who enable us to gather as a community and to celebrate what it means to actually govern ourselves? Or are politicians those who want to abuse power for their own greed or hubris? Well, if you're looking at it just in a binary way, you've got to come down one of those sides and either say all politicians are bad or all politicians are good. But Christians actually can look at the world of politics and they can see this is created good by God. We're supposed to be in communion with each other. And it's good actually for us to organize in that way. And leadership is a good thing. However, it's broken by sin. And so there is greed. There is the struggle for power. There is uh, a lack of humility very often times. And it's broken by sin. But it is under the realm of redemption by Jesus and redeemable by Him. So that politics is created good, broken by sin, and able to be redeemed by Christ. So that we can pray for those things. We can pray that Jesus would actually redeem business. We can pray that Jesus would redeem politics. We can pray that he would redeem law and education and art and music and the list goes on and on. And we can participate in them in that redemption. Maybe you're already making the leap then how it also allows us to see people. That we don't just see people in a binary way. That we get to look at people and say, this is a person created in the image of God. Who's broken, oftentimes deeply broken, and shows the signs of that deep brokenness by sin. But who is redeemable by Jesus. Therefore, we can pray that that redemption overcomes. We can pray that the kingdom of Christ actually would take hold in this world. As Jesus has told us to pray, that his kingdom would come. 
And when we start looking at ourselves, that's the way that we get to understand ourselves too. See, when I am struggling with my identity, with who I am, and because of my brokenness and my sin, I am oftentimes looking to fill that identity with other things. Here are the things that I do. Here are the things that I've achieved. Here are the things that I'm trying really hard to do. That's my identity, right? That's oftentimes in my sin the way that I'm led. But what I get to do instead of, instead of just falling into that trap of, well, I guess that's who I am, what instead I get to do as a Christian, I get to say, I'm created by God in His image. I'm deeply broken by sin. Which leads me to all kinds of other things to try and find my identity. But Jesus has taken an outsider and has brought him inside. Jesus has changed my identity. And that's who I am. When I'm struggling with relationships and what it means to actually get along with other people in my house, in my church, in my city... When I'm feeling the pride of thinking my little brand of Christianity is so much better than your little brand of Christianity. (laughs) The way that I get to look at myself, the story that I'm called to remember, is that I am made in the image of God. I'm deeply broken by sin. The kind of sin that brings arrogance and conflict. But I am redeemed by Jesus. He has actually made me who was once an enemy his friend. And he has then united me such that no longer are the people of God my enemy. They are my friends. He has united me and redeemed those relationships. That's my story. When I am struggling with what it means actually to be a citizen in God's kingdom. When I am struggling with that deep thing like value. I get to remind myself of the story. That I'm created in God's image. That I'm broken by sin, which means I'm going to go looking for value so many other places. I'm going to look for it in the way I perform, or the way I look, the way I act, whatever it is. My heritage, my wealth, my job performance. But I'm redeemed by Jesus. I'm given value because of His redemption. I, who was once a sojourner and an alien, have been made a citizen. He has called me by His name. Let me just ask you to, to just end on this question. What would life be like if that was the paradigm through which we looked at everything? If that was the lens by which we looked at our world? Created good, broken by sin, able to be redeemed by Jesus. If that's the way we looked at our world, if that's the way we looked at people around us, if that's the way we looked at ourselves, how would that change us? Because what Paul tells us is that this is our story. As much as we are prone to forget it, our story is that God has done something in us that we can never do on our own. That he has raised us to new life. That he has made outsiders insiders. That he has made enemies friends. That he has made those who are wanderers and strangers citizens. And he has given us value. That is our story, friends. Let's pray that the Lord would let us remember that more and more, and even more so this morning. Father, thank you for giving us this glorious story of your salvation, of your redemption of all things. Lord, we do confess that it oftentimes feels like the kingdom of sin is taking more and more land in our hearts. Lord, 
Allow us to remember who you are and what you've done. Allow us to remember even that you have claimed this victory already. Such that your kingdom will advance in our hearts, in our families, in our society, and in this world. We do pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.